This is Keep Up. I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. It's Thursday, February 15th, 2024. I'm in my Cape Elizabeth studio, and it's been a crazy few weeks in my hometown. The battle on housing grinds on. The town council moved forward a little bit on affordable housing at Gullcrest. I'll talk about that. I got back together with the Cape Pod Facebook group, and it hurts. And, uh, and the intersection of Section 8 housing and the First Amendment, plus, who knows, maybe a bit about the campaign if I have time. So this week, the, uh, the Town Council of Cape Elizabeth met on February 12th for its regular meeting. And there was an item on the agenda, number 50, 2024, and it was an item that I sponsored as a citizen. And that was my right, and it's in the rules. And if you get a town council to sponsor an item, you can get it on the agenda. And that's what I did. So the item was to authorize the town manager to do steps outlined in a feasibility report that was conducted by our town engineers and relates specifically to the potential of building an affordable housing development on the 22 acres of buildable land that we own at Goldcrest and to authorize the town manager to get the numbers for what it would cost to build the road because the project is to make available the land but hold onto it, you know, the town would retain ownership of the land. So we would construct the road and we've done that before. We met, we constructed the road on Goldcrest that's called Cooper Drive to the Public Works Department. And of course we constructed and, you know, maintained the road Denison Ave or Denison Drive that goes to the, you know, the beloved swap shop and transfer station. So uh, we've built roads on Goldcrest before in order to build it. You know, you need to get numbers because you pay for it using a bond because the bond is over a million dollars. Under the charter, it has to go out to the people. So the thought is that we're going to get this issue out to the people in November. That's, that's the thought. And it's, you know, and it's not unreasonable because the idea has been around in the public domain since early 2022. It's been, you know, two years that we have been working on this. And when I say we, of course, I'm leading the effort. You know, my name is, is, you know, is the name on, on all the, on all the writings about it for the most part, and perhaps the face of it publicly, but over 800 registered Cape voters signed a petition in support of this idea. So, (laughs) you know, almost 10% of the people have expressed approval for moving forward. So moving forward is not unreasonable. So this item is on the agenda. And the, and just, you know, I'll get the outcome is that we are going to move forward and do the methane gas test, which, you know, whether you're for housing or not, we should do a methane gas test. If, you know, the suspicion is that there might be dangerous methane gas emitted from the transfer, you know, uh, the landfill rather, well, we have to find out because we grow food for the food bank, you know, right, right next door. We are about to build a world-class ice rink and and welcome people from around the world. We have public employees who work right there. So the test is going forward. But you would think that maybe, I don't know, we were doing something, uh, you know, taking cash in suitcases out of a vault by the drama that was exhibited by people who were just hysterical about this issue. And, and, and it just surprises me, this suspicion like, one former member of the Housing Diversity Study Committee wrote to the town council and suggested that the mere presence of this item on the agenda reeked with some kind of inappropriate behavior. There must have been some backroom deal, you know, or underhanded uh, 
process that took place. And that email that she sent was forwarded to me, <laughs> which is perfectly appropriate. You know, I mean, I'm the sponsor of the item. I'm about to appear before the town council. The town council has gotten this communication and I have it. And she thinks that that's somehow, you know, it's, she's just so offended by it that she can't believe that that, that would take place. When you think about Dunham Court, though, that developer got forwarded all communication from all citizens about the project. So, you know, it, another former town councilor wants, uh, through the freedom of access law, now all the communications and texts related to the issues. She wants to, like, find out if maybe there was some kind of, I don't know, private communication doing, tran- you know, transacting town business over texts. Well, fine, you know, you can get all the communications, but <laughs> the bottom line is that, you know, I requested that Councillor Anderson sponsor this item, and she agreed. And we, using the rules, set, you know, got it on the agenda, and it appeared on the agenda, and everybody had advance notice of it, and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong of it. And, and the transparency was evident. I'm trying to get the issue out to Cape voters because we've talked about this enough. You know, we've we've studied it enough. We've spent, a, you know, enough money trying to figure out whether we want to do affordable housing on Gullcrest, maybe we should just vote on it. I mean, the cost of having a bond question on the ballot in November is probably less than, you know, $5,000. It's just a printed paragraph among, you know, several other items. It would be very inexpensive and very definitive and determinative of this question, which has been, like I said, in the public conversation, in the public discourse, debated widely for two years. Uh, We had public forums, we've had sidewalks. It was the subject of a petition signed by over 800 registered Cape voters. There was a survey done. I mean, we've, (laughs) the the Housing Diversity Study Committee, after a year and $100,000 plus, recommended to study further developing affordable housing on the other side of the landfill at Gullcrest. It's just ridiculous that the, that that the recommendation is to study, you know, one side but not the other, and yet they're opposed to doing the methane gas study, which of course applies to both sides. So the the um, the bottom line is that the four members of the town council who, you know, have been vocally supportive of exploring this idea and with the majority of Cape people because they were all elected, right? They were all elected with public, (laughs) you know, notice that this was their position on housing and the affordable housing amendments that would have allowed Dunham Court were voted down at the election um, booth as well. And so why not have a vote on, on an alternative to Dunham Court, which is what I've been calling community housing, which is an affordable housing development on the 22 acres of land at Gullcrest using the definition of affordable housing that's found in the new state law, and that is housing for up to 80% AMI for rentals and up to 120% AMI for owned housing. And the owned housing thing is really important, and the reason why it's important is because one of the studies that we've paid for, we've probably spent as a town a million dollars studying this issue of affordable housing. One of the studies uh, found that, and I posted it on the Cape Pod Facebook page today, 
you know, found that um, contrary to all of the surrounding communities, the cost burden for low-income families declines in Cape Elizabeth because of the large number of home, you know, large degree of home ownership. That low-income families who had the opportunity to, you know, own a home in Cape Elizabeth decreased their cost burden over time and instead grew economic security, which has been the argument all along for doing an alternative type of affordable housing than what Dunham Court model is, which is LIHTC, which is also Section 8 housing, which is for less than 60% AMI. So that's that's the battle here, is Kevin Just wants LIHTC Section 8 housing. Victoria Volant wants LIHTC Section 8 housing. Uh, you know, this others in the community who make money off of LIHTC and Section 8 housing, you know, they want it too. Well, I don't. I, I, I have an alternative view. I think that LIHTC housing lines the pockets of the already very rich bankers and developers, you know, who are have lobbyists in the Portland Chamber and these others, um, and doesn't help actually expand housing, you know, economic opportunities for families. And that's what I think the alternative model will do is actually, and then that's the plan is to give home ownership opportunities to families so that they can, you know, grow their uh, their wealth and, and, and their family's security and not be in a building that encourages you to stay under the income cap. And so you can be eligible for a voucher that goes to the real estate developer who's already making so much money trading these low-income tax credits and managing the property and owning the property and securitizing and cutting and dicing and slicing this investment like exponentially that you can't even imagine how much money is involved. It's just so much money. And and so it's just, I think, somewhat misleading to suggest that the projects that are proposed, like the one Dunham Court, is somehow righteous. <laughs> like, to me, it's the grossest example of a disgusting, you know, abuse of government programs. That this program to supposedly help low-income people now is just an ATM, basically, for bankers and real estate developers. And so Cape Elizabeth, thankfully, you know, we don't have to take it. You know, we don't have to take that bad medicine because we have alternatives. And that's why, you know, I'm going to keep grinding forward <laughs> on this um, on this issue. But the idea that there's somehow a process violation for, for just trying to get this question out to voters after all this time, <laughs> when you look at what happened with Dunham Court, when they got in in February 2021, and they had the entire Cape Elizabeth zoning ordinance amended by October of that year. And it was only then that the Cape voters successfully petitioned to have it go out for a referendum. You know, the developer abandoned the project, did not defend it at the polls, and it lost. But we waited a year, and then we had to wait a year for the Housing Diversity Study Committee to do its very shoddy <laughs> analysis of this issue and uh, and produce this 360-page report that says absolutely nothing about whether or not, you know, uh, we should do this this idea. And it's just, uh, you know, it's just we. It's time. It's time to vote. You know, it's time to vote. I think Cape Elizabeth voters, giving the level of education, giving the amount of time and effort that has been put into educating and studying and surveying this issue that it's time to like, you know, it's, it's time to 
end the drama, right? And speaking of drama and hysteria, the next topic is uh, the Cape Pod Facebook page. You know, I, I did break up with it before because, well, my, my very good friend said this perfectly about the Cape Pod Facebook page. Quote, the stupidity is astounding, <laughs> which just uh, makes me laugh every time I read that because it just really captures um, the level of argument, I think, at, at a lot of times. And, it, and I'm included in it. You, just, you're, you get sucked into these pathetic um, fifth grade rat-a-tat-tat uh, word sort of, you know, fighting. But um, hopefully... Hopefully, I think now, uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of a breakthrough because I think back then when I was on the K-Pod Facebook page, the administrators of the group had so sucked down the Kool-Aid, what I call like the Kevin Kool-Aid. There's, there's this group on this Facebook page who like literally like genuflect every time Kevin just posts something like, thank you, Kevin. Oh, thank you, Kevin. You've explained it again. And it's just, it's nauseating to me because the way I see it, he's just totally spinning things, you know, just absolutely spinning things. And I'll just give you a few examples. He has, uh, he's the chair of the housing diversity study committee. And, and that was a split vote. It wasn't you know, wasn't unanimous, but he, he nominated himself and like made himself chair like the first meeting and just kind of like ran rammed through things. But this whole time that he was the chair of the Housing Diversity Study Committee, he also had a website, um, you know, it was like affordablecape.com that was all about defeating the idea that I had about of developing an affordable housing development as defined in LD 2003, which is, you know, 80 to 100%, 120 AMI on land, you know, owned by Thomas Jordan, which is now have, you know, been identified by the engineers as being 22 acres. So I've had that idea now for, you know, for two years. And he, he has a website purporting to have all the facts about my proposal. And he doesn't include the actual feasibility report that the town paid for that that demonstrates its feasibility. So that's just, I think, one example of <laughs> how underhanded this person is with information about, about this topic. If you're the chair of the Housing Diversity Study Committee and you have a website that purports to give objective and factual information about something and you don't include <laughs> the official report demonstrating its feasibility, I, I just think that there's something wrong with that. And another example was, um, you know, the Housing Diversity Study Committee's charge from the town council was to basically do, you know, three things, uh, recommend projects with when it came to doing affordable housing on town owned land, the town council said to recommend or put forward ideas that could be, you know, shown to have feasibility, whether practical feasibility, financial feasibility, and show that there's demonstrated success in a surrounding community. And so, Throughout the year, I, on several occasions, proposed specifically this, you know, this idea of an affordable housing development on this on this land, um, and to demonstrate financial feasibility, took an interview, brought, you know, made a video of an interview with the Maine State Housing Authority designated, you know, contracted person John Egan, who works at the Genesis Fund, and. You know, the, the conclusion reached in the interview undisputably is that 
assuming the you know that the that the land is feasible if it's town owned land that the main state housing authority has 100% financing for rental units up to 80% AMI and home ownership up to 120% AMI so without a doubt we could even do litec project if we wanted but the proposal is to do you know between 80 and 120 so the evidence that i put forward to demonstrate to meet my burden of showing financial feasibility was quite strong now, in response, there was one email that John Egan sent that suggested had he known of the location next to a landfill, it would be really hard for him, you know, to, to get his mind around it or words to that effect. In other words, that like he was, he had moral, uh, um, he, he was concerned about the morality or the appearance of, of, this, of this project now. Now, Okay, in my mind, that's completely irrelevant because he's speaking for the main state housing authority that either will or will not provide financing on town-owned land for affordable housing projects next to a landfill. And he knows that they will, and, and we know that they will because the main state housing authority provided financing for the affordable housing in Cumberland, in the town of Cumberland, which is a coastal community not far from here, very similar in demographics, and they do, you know, they have now a beautiful affordable housing complex right next to their capped landfill. And they also did on municipal owned land, a beautiful neighborhood of single family homes. And they're about to have on their March 5th ballot, another referendum on a second affordable housing project adjacent to their solar capped landfill. So, so not only was there financial feasibility and, you know, a, a, a comparable community to point to, Kevin only included the one email from John Egan uh, to to substantiate the his conclusion that there's not financial feasibility without really citing, referencing, making even any you know uh, mention that you know there was substantial evidence that there's financial feasibility. So I think it's misleading to send. You know, to cite an email that, that, first of all, he didn't copy me on it also, which is, it's just something that I think is is questionable. Like if <laughs> he's having an email conversation with John Egan about an interview that I did with him and a project that we discussed, and he doesn't include me on the email, and then when someone else forwarded it to me, and I responded with a photo of the Cumberland affordable housing project right next to the landfill suggesting to John that, you know, whether you think the location is good or not, uh, the fact is the Maine State Housing Authority does finance these types of programs, right? And Kevin didn't include that. John didn't respond. And, and it's such a simple question. Does the Maine State Housing Authority provide financing for projects on municipal land that are next to a capped landfill? Yes, they do. But Kevin suggests, I think, in a misleading way, <laughs> that there'd be, you know, questionable financing. And again, using that one Egan email out of context and not following up, uh, you know, as the chair of the Housing Diversity Study Committee. And let's keep in mind, this is the only viable project we have in town. There is no other area that we own that we can develop affordable housing on. And much to the dismay of all the people who keep saying, oh, there's these lots in town center. Well, guess what? Those are privately owned, and they're not zoned for this the kind of housing that <laughs> that we want to make. So we we tried that, right? We we voted on that, and 
That's not to say that there can't be housing in the town center that's affordable. It certainly can be, but there can't be one of these big, gigantic apartment buildings. And that's just, you know, people have to just get over that. There's no reason why we as a community would spend, you know, our tax dollars acquiring real estate to be owned by a private developer for for for-profit Section 8 housing when we have property that we can contribute we can maintain the ownership. We can provide housing opportunities that actually lift low-income families up the social, uh, you know, income level ladder. So there's perfectly good reasons um, not to do uh, one and to do the other. And, and the only work that I'm doing now is trying to get that out to voters. And I just think the drama around it, stirred up by the chair of the Housing Diversity Study Committee, is. Um, <laughs> Well, like my friend said, the stupidity is astounding. And, you know, I just, let's just talk about one more thing about why I'm sort of in battle with Kevin Just on the Facebook pod, Facebook page about this issue. And, you know, because to me, it's like about the soul of our country. I mean, of our town, of our community. I know I just sounded a little bit, I had a Joe Biden moment. Uh, No, but seriously, um, the soul of our community it because of the vision, whether you want like, you know, Litech Section 8 apartment buildings in town or whether you want beautiful, uh, you know, homes with stoops and, front, you know, front steps and, um, and lawns and gardens. And I think, I don't know, I think front stoops are worth fighting for. Front stoops are where neighbors and friendships are made. You know, it's where political activity happens. It's where kids trick or treat. It's, it's important, in, in my view, to, in a community, to have a front door and, um, and a, you know, and, and, a, and a door in a metaphorical sense, a door to, you know, a brighter future for your family and, and not just live in this like Wall Street corporate Democrat vision of everything securitized, sliced and diced, bedded, you know, a thousand times makes cha-ching for, <laughs> you know, for guys like Kevin and just pollutes our landscape with this, you know, really bleak bleak housing. And then, you know, next to it, we're going to have to have bleak storage because the bleak housing model in order for it to be bundled and sold on Wall Street has to only have one bedrooms and there's no garages. And so there's no storage. And then we're going to have storage. It's just, uh, it's, it's something that I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep working on. So, um, you know, and, and it just, (laughs) leads to the last topic, and that is the intersection of Section 8 housing and free speech. It, um, this, whole, this whole conversation is sort of emblematic, or it almost seems like metaphorical about um, what's going on with like politics and like within sort of the left of, of, the, of the political spectrum. It's just this cancel culture, this kind of, I don't know, um, snowflake uh, you know, want to control how people speak. They want to control how people think. They want to control what they can hear. Uh, and I'll just give you a, a few examples. <laughs> um, you know, I've been I've been working on this now for, like I said, since it wasn't just about saying no to Dunham Court. You know, I I did lead the effort to defeat that for what I thought were very good reasons, and and using the democratic process. Um, you know, uh, said no thanks to that, and and I committed to students and and to myself actually that you know was no, saying no wasn't enough that it was going to help try to solve the problem of this housing crisis right this is what we were supposed to be 
diving in to uh, address when we were asked to support Dun- Dunham Court as a housing crisis. Well, this is a, this is another solution that's doable, and um, and so I, I you know I've been working on this now for two years, but but there's just people who don't want me to talk about it. And they don't want me to use certain words. Like Jamie Garvin, he he doesn't want me to use the word project. He says, we have to stop using that word project because this isn't a project. You know, this is an impossibility. Like, he he just, he's outraged that I use the word project. It's like, you know, what I think, okay, since everybody attributes bad motives onto me, I'm just going to share with you my thoughts about people's motives. I think Jamie Garvin is really mad because I blocked him on Facebook. And that's the level, really, that we're at here, uh, you know, to a certain extent. It's like we're in the the, the friggin' playpen here. Uh, because I blocked Jamie Garvin, he's really, really mad at me. So, you know, he writes all this stuff, and he doesn't want me to use the word project. Well, you know, I can use the word project about a friggin' project that I've been working on now for two years. Like, this is a project. The project is to put before the Cape voters the proposition that we would do something that's legally and financially feasible, that's allowed under the local zoning law, that embraces the new state law. I mean, it's the best of all worlds, really, when it comes to affordable housing. You know, it, it, so it, it's it's completely possible, and it's, it is a project, and I want to use that word, and I'm going to continue to use that word. Gretchen Noonan doesn't want me to use the term Section 8 to refer to this type of housing. You know, like, like I can't, you know, don't call it Section 8. Like, well, that's what HUD calls it. That's what the Maine State Housing Authority calls it. That's a reference to the section of the law that describes the program, and it's perfectly appropriate for me to call it Section 8 housing. You know, it refers to a dem- housing for a demographic of less than or 60% AMI for the most part. It's low and very low-income people. So, you know, the fact that Kevin calls it LIHTC doesn't change the fact that it's also Section 8. I mean, just point to a project that is LIHTC, that is not Section 8, and, you know, and, and then we can have a conversation. But the bottom line is that it's a hand-in-glove relationship here, and it's for-profit Section 8 housing. It's, it's people making a lot of money on Wall Street on this housing because everything is securitized. Okay, they, they, they're going to own this land in 30 years outright. The, the taxpayers will have bought this land for the real estate developers who create the housing, they make the money from the Section 8 vouchers from the tenants managing the building, and they're going to own the land. Well, that ownership interest is securitized. The the mortgages that back up the financing of these projects are securitized. The low-income tax credits are securitized. I mean, all of this stuff is just being, you know, dinging around Wall Street, ching 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 making money for investors and bankers. Meanwhile, the people who live there in order to be eligible, have to keep their income low. So that's a very bleak proposition if what you're hoping to do is provide some sort of long-term economic security for families, and that's why people have a right to, you know, work for something different. And referring (laughs) to Section 8 housing, when it is called Section 8 housing, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's just, it's it's so annoying because there's this self-righteousness about it that somehow Gretchen Noonan, you know, is is more like righteous than I am because she doesn't refer to it as Section 8 housing. She didn't even know that she voted on this. 
And I think what's going on here about Gretchen, because I thought we had a fine relationship, I just think that she is so mad. Again, this is like, I think, just local politics at the really um, playground level. And I think Gretchen Noonan worked very hard on the Ordinance Committee on the LD 2003 amendments. Now, I will just point out that at the very beginning of that process, I flagged the issue of trying to change multiplex housing to multifamily housing. And I told them, don't do it. This is a political, you know, time bomb. You're just going to regret it. And they nevertheless spent the year working on that, trying to convince Cape Motors that changing multiplex housing to multifamily was innocuous and that we had to do all these other things. Now, I stood out of that. I, I stayed out of that fight. You didn't see me at these public hearings screaming and yelling about it. Uh, I didn't join in on any lists or weigh in about this until the end. Uh, and, you know, Gretchen Noonan leaves the town council. A new town council comes in. They overturn some, but not all, of the ordinances that Gretchen, you know, worked so hard on. And so she's really mad because these same town councilors support housing on Gullcrest, so now I'm her enemy. It, that's, it, it seems, that's the only possible explanation I can come up with as to why now Gretchen Noonan is so vehemently opposed to having a vote on an affordable housing development on land that we own that we could do in compliance with the Cape Zoning Law and LD 2003, which I thought she, you know, I thought she wanted affordable housing. I thought this was a crisis. I thought we were supposed to be trying to, as a community, to, you know, answer the call. Well, why why can't we have a vote and why can't I call it <laughs> Section 8 housing? And Victoria Volan, a member of the Housing Diversity Study Committee, she just didn't want me to refer to it as community housing. She just didn't want community housing. I'm so tired of it. Plan B. I'm so tired of hearing it. She was just so tired of hearing it. Well, you know, sorry, but you're on the Housing Diversity Study Committee and this is the only viable idea that we have in town to actually do something. So, you know, I think they thought that this was idea that they were going to just come up with this lousy report that basically splits the baby and says ridiculously at the end, end, end of the process to study doing affordable housing on the southern section of Gullcrest. When this is the, the same group of people that came out with this majority report that says, no, don't do what... Um, you know, don't do any housing on the 22 acres of land that the town engineers identified as buildable that could result in up to 198 units of affordable multiplex housing. Instead, study doing possibly some housing on the athletic fields right across from where the ice arena is. I mean, that is just ridiculous because the reason why Kevin wrote in his report, we don't, we, you know, that we shouldn't do housing on the land, you know, that we that was identified by our engineers as buildable. The reason he says is because, oh, because of this, you know, Wall Street scoring, the finance scoring, it, it, it it's not walkable. So, so the northern section, as he calls it, is not walkable. The section that the 22 acres that I'm talking about where we could do affordable housing, he says it's not walkable. So instead, we're going to study doing the southern section. I mean, this is the same parcel of land. It's the same trails that lead to the school. How could one possibly be walkable and not the other walkable? And let's just face it, this is Wall Street talking. Anyone who's been to this area knows it's walkable. Every day, Cape athletic teams and students run and walk between Gullcrest and the high school because it's perfectly walkable. There's a beautiful... Greenbelt trails and a lovely brand new footbridge. So to say it's not walkable and therefore we shouldn't move forward 
on the 22 acres that's been identified by our town engineers, but at the same time say out of the other side of your mouth that instead we should do another study about an area that the town planner already has pointed out in an earlier memo is not good for housing. So this, it's like a circle jerk. It's just this round and round and round we go, round and round and round we go. Study, you know, we have to keep studying, studying, studying. And what I think is going on is Kevin Just just wants a study that's going to have the outcome that says, oh, gosh, darn it, we need to do a LIHTC project in the middle of town. <laughs> you know, that's that's what I think is going to happen. And Victoria Volant wants LIHTC because she works for Portland and the housing answer in Portland for all the white men, you know, drug addicted, single white men between the ages of 18 and 35 are these LIHTC projects that she'd love to have one in Cape Elizabeth because that could maybe, you know, get some of her problem at work off of her hands, you know, and, uh, you know, and she lost her election by six votes. So these are the people who are leading the discussion on why we should have LIHTC housing, you know, the ones who whose job depends on it. <laughs> and then the and the public who weighs in criticizing it also are in the LIHTC business. This Regan St. Pierre, uh, you know, they are in the business of making money for investors trading on LIHTC. And so, you know, yeah, they're really opposed to the inhumanity of doing a, a housing project next to a landfill. So instead, we need to do it downtown because that's that's what you know, that's what gets the scores up for their, for their, uh, for their investors. So, um, you know, uh, cancel culture, you know, um, I'm going to paraphrase Eleanor Roosevelt, nobody can cancel you without your consent. And, um, you know, this idea that somehow, uh, you know, I blocked Jamie Garvin on Facebook. So he's, he's, he's attacking me for having a fevered dream uh, of, you know, like, it's almost like, you know, uh, fighting windmills, just, he, he thinks basically that, I, that I'm going through menopause, I think there's just this sort of whiff of misogyny in his testimony at the town council night uh, meeting the other night, um, a fevered dream, that's what he calls this work that I'm doing to put before case voters, <laughs> affordable housing for kids and families. That's, I mean, that's, um, you know, I, yeah, uh, nobody can cancel you without your consent. We're going to keep working on this because, and, you know, to paraphrase Margaret Mead, um, you know, don't ever doubt a small, thoughtful group of people can change the world because that's the only thing that ever does. And so, um, no, this isn't my fevered dream. This is just, um, this is what democracy looks like. This is when you have a grassroots moment you have a good idea. You get support. You build support. You build support in the community. You build support at the town council level. And that's what we're doing. And that's what we have. And why not just put this question out to a vote, right? I mean, what's what's wrong with Cape Elizabeth voters weighing in on whether we can do something that's legally and financially feasible that's been done in the town of Cumberland? And it's something that, according to all the polls, is what we want. And that's, you know, some affordable housing. So uh, stay tuned. And until next time, this is Cynthia Dill signing off. Take care.